We're in the middle of Perik Dal in Yeshua. We're learning about the crossing of the, the Jewish people crossing the Jordan, the crossing the Yarden when it split. Perik Gimel is all about that. Perik Dalit is about that. We're halfway through Perik Dalit. So we learned that the, that the Jews crossed the Yarden, they, that they carried 12 stones out of the Yarden from where the Kohanim stood out to the Yarden, that we're going to bring them to their lodging, that, that, that they brought them to the lodging. We're going to read about that later in this parak. And they also took 12 other stones from the, from the dry land. They brought those stones into the Yarden. They placed them under where the Kohanim stood. We discussed different reasons for that, to hold the Kohanim up so they shouldn't fall in after they took the stones out or, or not. But, uh, and it said, the end of the end of Pasuk test, the end of Pasuk test, Perigdal, it says, those stones that they, that they placed there were there, and we discussed at length last time, there are, there are two ways to understand the verse, the, the, you know, the more scholarly way, maybe the more shot-oriented way is to say it means when this particular book of Nevi'im was written. That's the Barbanel's approach. It means that, the, that this book was written, according to that, you have to assume the book was written much later than the events, because you don't say if it happened a day later. So if Yeshua himself wrote the book, like Hazal, say it wouldn't make sense, right? According to this approach, it means that Robert Al says it was written much later, it was written, in the, written by Shmuel hundreds of years later, and Shmuel was writing that those, that those stones were there, Adayamazeh, were still there in his day. The other approach is that of the Mitsudas David. Adayamazeh means forever, it means indefinitely, it means the Navi was writing Benavua with prophecy that, that, that these stones are, were there, they will be there whenever someone reads the Navi indefinitely into the future. Whenever you read it, until this day that you're reading this text, the stones are still there. The, that's, a, uh, that's, a, that's a question. Are the stones still there? But, but, but that's, the, that's the approach of the Masudah Stavid. We mentioned there are a bunch of other psukim in the, in the Navi that says and Yoshua and Shoftim. There are similar psukim in Chumash and so on. And the question is always how to understand these psukim of Adayamazeh. So we're up to Pasuk Yud. So Pasuk Yud continues the narrative. It says, The Kohanim, those who were carrying the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, they remained standing in the dry riverbed of the Yardin where the water had, had, had left. They remained there until the entire... The entire thing that Hashem had commanded Yeshua to speak to the people until all that had concluded. We'll discuss what that is in a moment, what he was commanded to tell the people. Everything that Moshe had commanded Yeshua back when Moshe was still alive. And then it says, And the people went swiftly, they hastened, and they crossed the Yardin. We'll discuss soon why they, why they were in such a rush. So what is, this, what is this reference to that the entire thing that Hashem commanded Yeshua? So Rashi brings a midrash. Rashi brings a Gemara in Masechah Sota. What was this thing that the? What was this thing that that the Hashem commanded Yeshua to speak to the people? So the midrash says it was something that's actually not mentioned in the Psukim. It refers to something, a, a dire warning. It says the the the. The midrash says that 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 that, that what he what he was told to say was. Odom by Yardin, that the Jews were still in the Yardin. Amarlam Yeshua, Yeshua told them, and that's what this passage means here, according to Rashi, a reference to Yeshua told them, you should know. You're crossing the Yardin, and God is doing a great miracle for you. The waters are being split. There's a condition. There's a, there's a condition here. Hashem is splitting the Yardin and letting you cross on the following condition. On condition that you expel the local inhabitants from the land. 
as Hashem commanded you back in Chumash Bamidbar, it says, that you are commanded to expel the Canaanites and all the people who live there. Don't let them remain there. This is a concern that we find repeatedly in, in Chumash and the Nevi'im, that God did not want them to remain because there would be a, a corroding influence on the Jewish people, their, their morals, their behavior. We're, we're going to lead the people astray from, from ethical behavior, away from a Kodesh Baruch So you have to expel them. If you fulfill your side of the bargain and you proceed to expel the people as I've commanded you to, then great. If you don't do that, then the water will come and uh, the water will come and flood you. And uh, I don't know that this ever happened. I'm not sure. I mean, the Jewish people didn't uh, entirely fulfill this command. The Nabiim, we're going to see later in the Navi if we get there, that, that the Jews did. Uh, that the Jews did let some of the Canaanites remain in the land, that they were criticized for it, that they had a bad effect on them. So the Jews didn't actually live up to this condition. So I don't know if uh, I don't know if it uh, if they were ever punished with some kind of flooding. But there is uh, Rashi on the Gemara explains the same way Rashi explains here in the Navi that that where did Chazal get this from? That there was still in the yard and Yeshua told him this this uh, dire dire warning, dire condition. It's Arpasik. It says Adom Kalad Adom Kalad until the conclusion of this whole thing that Hashem commanded Yoshua to speak to the people, what is this thing? This is the thing that uh, that, 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 that says about Moshe. Moshe, back in Chumash, it says, when you cross the Yardin, you must chase out the people. And when it says, when you cross the Yardin, you should chase out the people, what's the connection to crossing the Yardin? So the simple shot is, that's when it becomes relevant. Once you cross the Yardin and enter Eretz Canaan, that's when you have to make sure to uh, expel the people. But the Midrash says, he told them when they were in the yard, and that's this pasuk that right now the water is being held up miraculously, that uh, you're getting this great mace, this great uh, salvation from Hashem, but there are strings attached. You have to do your part, which is to expel the people, and if you don't, then if you don't, then you are going to be punished. The, this is all a midrash, of course. The, the, this, this is not anywhere explicitly in the psukim. Other refreshers explain the pasuk of Shuta. What is... What is Adtom Kaladavara Shartiva Hashemas Yoshua de Berahaam? What does it mean until the conclusion of the thing that Hashem commanded Yoshua to speak to the people? So the Radak says it means the putting up the stones. And Hashem told him to put up the stones and taking other stones out to, to the lodging. So it means until they finish that whole the, the, those instructions which Hashem had commanded, not this new exotic and uh, dangerous night. It just means the what Hashem commanded Yeshua earlier in the earlier in these prakim that, that he was commanded to do these procedures with the stones. The the reference to, to Ashutiva, Ashutiva Moshe's Yoshua, the reference to the reference to Moshe, that also refers to the stones. It says back in the Chumash that, 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 that it, it says in the Torah, the day you cross the Yardin, you should do and you should do the, the procedure of the stones. Okay. So it says that they did this thing that they had this discussion in the Yardin, whether about expelling the Canaanites or about the stones. So they did this, and the Kohanim, those who carried the Aaron, they remained in the Yardin until this whole thing had concluded. And then the Pasuk ends, the Pasuk concludes, it says, uh, It says, the people, the people hastened, they went swiftly, they crossed the Yardin. Why did they go, why did they do this swiftly? What was the rush? Radak says, what do they do swiftly? What do they do swiftly? They, they put up the stones, they, put, they did all the things with the stones, the cross, and they did it all swiftly. He doesn't explain why. Metsudas David, why did he, why, why were they in a rush? Why did they do this quickly? Matudas David says, The Aaron was waiting for them. The Aaron normally traveled in a, in a place of honor in front of the Jewish people. 
here, in this, this, in this unique circumstance, the Aron remained behind. The Aron remained in the Yardane as the entire people crossed. The Aron wound up letting people go in front of it. Normally, that's not covered. When you have something, when you have uh, someone who does, who's entitled to respect, a king, a Talmud Chacham, a parent, you know, he doesn't just wait for you behind while you go running in front. That, that's not covered. I mean, battle may be the, the, the general sometimes stays behind because he's more important than the foot soldiers, but in general, in, in a case of, uh, in a, when there's no obvious threat, the, the, on, the position of honor is in the front. Everyone else follows respectfully behind. To here, the Aron was, it was a sort of disrespectful configuration with the Aron waiting while everyone ran ahead of it. The Jewish people were sensitive to that. They realized this is not the most respectful Arrangement, so they wanted to rush through so the Aaron can uh, can can go back to its rightful place in front of the people. Okay, that's perhaps Pshutra Shalmikra. But they bring my Navi brings from the from a, from an author they refer to as Rabbi Yaakov Pidanki. Yaakov Pidanki was an English uh, Talmud Chacham about in, in the 17th century, where the Jews were where the, where the Jews were allowed to return to England after having been out for a while. So Rabbi. This Rabbi, this uh, Rabbi Yaakov Pedanki was a was a, was a Talmud Chacham who studied Mikra and, and he wrote a commentary. He wrote he he, he, he wrote a commentary to the to the Barbanel, the Barbanel's classic Pirush on Nabiim. This Rabbi Yaakov Pedanki wrote a commentary to the Barbanel. It, it, it's referred to as the Riff. If you see on the old Barbanel, you'll see Riff on the bottom. It's not the Riff of Yitzchak Kalfasi, the, the the great Moroccan Talmud Chacham from a thousand years ago. This riff, Reshiud Pei, is Rabbi Yaakov Pidanki. Apparently they spell it uh, F-I-D-A-N-Q-U-E. I have no idea how he pronounced his name, but uh, this, this Talmud Chacham, he wrote a commentary to that Varvanel. And, and in the Judaica Press, Navi, they quote him a lot. Uh, I, I looked this up in the original. He says what they said. He says, he says you, know why they, uh, you know why they were in a rush to cross the Yardin? So he writes, he says, he says, he has one, one brief comment. He says that they... He says that the reason they rushed, he says, they, they hastened and they crossed, in fear, in, in, uh, in, in terror, because the rule is, the Gemara says, if someone, that, that, that someone should not go, should not pass by a, a rickety wall, a wall that's a wall that's falling, that's unstable, a person should not go near such a wall. Because it's dangerous, and the Gemara says, "Maskiwir Navanosu Shel Adam Shaholech," that 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 causes the person's sins to be brought into account in the, in the heavenly court. They say, "Is he deserving of an ace? Is he deserving? He's, he's playing Russian roulette here. Is he deserving that we should save his life? Let's see. Does he really deserve it? What are his? What, what what's the balance sheet of his uh, of his sins and so on? It's not a good idea. This, this Gemara that a person shouldn't walk by a kir natui. The, so the, again, there, 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 are, there are two ways to explain it. You can explain it in a kind of a naturalistic, rationalistic sense. Don't do it because it's dangerous. And God does run the world, but God sometimes leaves people to their own devices. And if you pass by a uh, pass by a rickety wall, you may die. Or you can have the more the firmer, the more theological approach that Hashem will decide what to do either way. But you're going to lose your schuyos if you rely on an ace. Hashem will credit that against your. Uh, You'll, 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 that, that, that'll use up, so to speak, that'll use up some of your, use up some of your zechuyos. Either way, the, the Gemara mentions this in a couple of places. The Gemara in Brachos says, Shloshadvarim, there are three things which cause a person's sins to be you know, brought up and considered. Eluhain, Kir Natui, Iyun Fila, Masin Al-Havero. So the other two, uh, the other two we're, not, we're not going to uh, get into right now, but the Maskirin Avnosa Shaladam, one of the things is, Kir Natui, going in a dangerous place, 
is something that uh, causes a person's sins to be analyzed and Gemara Rosh Hashanah, three things, one of them is Kir Natui. Uh, uh, incidentally, it's uh, the, 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 this parsha, last week's parsha, next week's parsha. The, the, the Gemara, another one of the three things it says is if a person is moser din al chaveru. If a person complains to an authority and asks that someone else be punished, that uh, and asks for for justice, for punishment to be meted out against uh, his opponent, that is something that's a dangerous thing to do because sometimes that results in you being punished and the punishment Hashem somehow. Karma, something Hashem brings that uh, Hashem brings that brings about that you get punished. The example the Gemara gives is from Avraham and Hagar and Sarai. It says that the Gemara brings a statement, and the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says, it says this rule: if you're most on somebody else, it's gonna it's gonna boomerang and rebound against you. Sarai told Avraham, Hamasi Alecha. Sarai, that was in. Uh, that was in last week's parsha. She said in, in Lech Lecha, She said she complained to Avram. She said, "I gave you my maidservant Hagar, and now look what she's doing. She's she's uh, disrespecting me. She's lording it over me. Hamasi Alecha, my 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 mistreatment, my 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 complaint. My uh, I I have a charge against her. She's not she's not behaving properly to me. So so, so Avram was the authority. Avram was in charge of Hagar. So so Sarai, Sarai asked Avram to take care of Hagar." He did. They, they, he told her, do whatever you want, and, and so on. And this week's parasha, the coming week's parasha, it says, Avram, Avram buried Sarah. She died. So because of the, because she was Moser Din on Hagar, the, the, the Gemara says, she, that rebounded against her. She was punished. She, she ended up dying. That, that, that somehow her death is, uh, her death is, uh, is a consequence of, the, of what she did. Uh, a little bit of a digression from Yoshua. This is a favorite topic of mine. It's remarkable. We, we learn throughout Chumash Bereshis, we learn the stories of the Avos, the, the great patriarchs and matriarchs, the Avos and the Imahos, great tzaddikim, they, they recognized Hashem, they, they, they taught people about Hashem, they, 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 were, uh, they were kind. Uh, Avram is a paragon of Chesed, Avram prays for stone. They were, uh, they, were, they were upright, they were virtuous in, uh, in, 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 a, in, in a culture, in a morass of paganism and, and decadence. Nevertheless, the, the Rishonim, there's a whole school of thought in the Rishonim that uh, that that criticizes them in several places for actions that they that they think the Torah indicates that they fell short. In particular, the treatment of Hagar. So there are two episodes of Hagar. There, there are two episodes where where Hagar has a conflict with Avram and Sarah. One is in Pashas Lech Lecha. This one about Hamasi Lecha, where right after apparently shortly after they get married. Hagar becomes pregnant, and Sarah is not pregnant, so, so, so she thinks she's superior to, to Sarah, and, and Sarah is upset, Sarah is upset, she's, and, and they, they expel Hagar. She, they, they, well, Sarah, they don't expel her. They, Sarah, at that, in that parasha, Sarah oppresses her, she makes life difficult for her. Hagar runs away, the Malach tells her, Malach appears to her and tells her, return and bear it, and you'll have a great, you'll have a son who'll be, uh, who'll be a great uh, nation. In, in, in this past week's Pasha in Vayera, we have the second conflict. Hagar has come back. Hagar has Yishmael. And Yishmael is behaving improperly with regard to Yitzchak. He's Mitzachek. Chazal said means he was doing terrible Averis. And whatever the Peshat of Mitzachek is, he was behaving improperly. So Sarah, Sarah now, Sarah said... You must expel her because uh, he can't inherit together with Yitzchak. Avram did not want to do this. It says, that Avram was very reluctant to do this. Hashem told him, you should listen to Sarah. You should listen to her. So he gave her water and bread and he expelled her. She got lost in the desert. 
Ishmael almost died, and the Malach came and showed her a well and saved her and saved him, and uh, they went on, and he became Ishmael, founder of the nation of Ishmael. So the, it, it seems very you know, cold behavior of Abraham and Sarah toward Hagar, and particularly in the first story, in Pashas Lech Lecha, a number of Rishonim are critical of Avram and Sarah. They say they behave badly toward Hagar. The Ramban. The Ramban, the, the, the Ramban is well known, but there are other Rishonim as well. The Tur, Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim, the son of the Rush, the Radak. The, these three Spanish Rishonim all take the position that, that, that Avram and Sarah's behavior toward Hagar fell short of the standards uh, that we expect of them, that, they, that they, were, they were wrong. And the Ramban has an incredible thing. He says that Again, you know, karma, mida, kneg, and mida, whatever you want to call it. And we, we don't really believe in karma, but you know, the kind of the mida, kneg, and mida, that actu- ac- actions have consequences, they explain. That's why we suffer from Yishmael Ad Hayyam the Ramban says. We suffer from, he means presumably Arabs and Islam, we, we suffer from Yishmael Ad Hayyam because of the way they mistreated Hagar back then. The actions have reactions, actions have consequences because of the way they, they took advantage of their power over, over Hagar to, 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 to oppress her, and we're paying for that by, by the suffering we have at the hands of Yishmael. An incredibly powerful thing to say, to criticize the, the, the Avos and Imos like that, and to, and to say that our suffering at the hands of uh, our cousins, our, our Arabic cousins, may not be deserved, but it's at least somehow a consequence of what we did. It's a powerful idea, but, but that's what a number of the Rishonim say. In the second story of Hagar and Yishmael, of Hagar and Yishmael and, and Avram and Sarah from last week's parasha, it's much harder to say that there was any wrongdoing because Hashem seems to have endorsed what Sarah says. Sarah says we have to expel Yishmael because he's a bad influence and because he can't, he can't be together with Yitzhak. And Avram, Avram did not want to do it. And Hashem said, You have to listen. So if Hashem said she was right, it's hard to argue that they were wrong. Nevertheless, the the tour, the, the tour does actually not not so clear what he means, but he does actually indicate that there was some element of wrongdoing. The the tour, so the tour was a great halachist. He wrote the the Arba Turim, the the the, 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 the precursor to the Shulchan Aruch. He also wrote a commentary to the Chumash. He also wrote the Tur Alatar. He also wrote a commentary to the Chumash. The commentary is is not that original. Most of it is an anthology of uh, of earlier authorities, Ramban and others. He also wrote a, a famous kind of an introduction to his main commentary, which has become much more popular today than his main commentary. He wrote what we call the Balaturim. The Balaturim was a kind of briefer discussion of the Parsha B'derek Drush. His unusual style is that he analyzes Masoretic notes, the, the, the notes about the, the biblical text and the unusual words and phrases. That, that, as we've discussed in previous, uh, in previous sessions, the, the, the Masorah pre- had a system of preserving the, the accu- accurate spellings and, and so on of the Torah by, by, by often highlighting where something was different and saying there are three cases where this word is spelled like this. Usually this word is spelled without a vav. There are three places where it's spelled with a vav. Or usually, uh, you know, this verb usually is not conjugated like this. There are three places where we have this unusual conjugation of a verb. And so on. So then the Masara has these very, very brief, very cryptic notes. And they, uh, often they take the form of pointing out a group of you know, several isolated places in Tanakh where you have an unusual form or an unusual, less common uh, wording. So, on a simple level, these are just meant to preserve the, preserve the accuracy of the text. But the, the Tur 
wrote a pirush where Baderek Drush, he found commonalities. He found connections. If the, if the, if the, if the Messiah said there are three places where a word appears in this form, there must be some thematic connection between them. The Torah was not the first one to write in this style, actually. The Torah was following in a tradition the Maram of Rottenberg, Rameir of Rottenberg, the, the towering Talmudist and Halachist in Germany, also wrote a, a pirush, which was recently, the last few decades, printed from manuscript, I think, on Chumash in the same style, analyzing the Masoretic notes. But the Torah, the Balaturim, wrote this this section of his commentary, which was to be durish in, in, the, in the manner of drush, these Masoretic notes. So on, on, on yesterday's parsha, where it says that Hashem told, where, where Sarah, Sarah told Avram, expel her, chase her away. So the Masoretic says that there are three, the, the, so, so the word garish, the chase, you know, appears in different forms, and the, the, the word garish appears in different forms in Tanakh. Um, the, the word garish appears three times, the Messiah says, with that Nikun, with the Kamats under the Gimel and a Tzeri under the Resh, it appears th- exactly three times in Tanakh. One of them is Goresh Asamazos, where Sarah told Avram, expel, the, expel Yishmael. One of them is in the context of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, where Hashem tells the Jewish people, Hashem tells Moshe, and he tells the Jewish people that the Mitzrayim are going to send you out at the culmination of the Makkah, the end of Makkah's Pachars, Kishalachena, Kala Goreshi Goresh, they will completely send you out. Again, the word Garish. The third time is in Mishlei, who are full of uh, wisdom and advice about uh, conducting yourself in an upright way. It says, Garish Lates. You should expel the late, the scoffer, the, 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 the one who doesn't take things seriously. Garish Lates. You have to expel him and don't, don't let him be, uh, be near you. So the tour draws a, uh, a line connecting these three, these three instances of the word Garish. He says... The advice of Solomon, the wisest of men, the advice is Goresh Leitz. The recommendation is you must expel the Leitz. So Sarah said, okay, Goresh Leitz. Yishmael is a, is a person who fits that, who fits that description. He's a Leitz. He's Metzachik. He has to go. So, so, so she said, she said, Goresh is Amazos. We have to expel Yishmael. Expel Hagar. Expel Yishmael. But because they did this, he says, they were punished. At the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, they were expelled in an unceremonious way. They were nanshu, and they were, even though there was a great chesed, a great nace Hashem did for the Jewish people, there was also an element of punishment, he says. They, they, I guess they could have left in a more uh, calmer and triumphant fashion. They, they, they could have uh, marched out in, uh, at their convenience, but instead they were garish, and Mitzrayim were just threw them out. So even though there was a great, uh, great nace and a great chesed of Hashem, there was also an element of punishment where they were suffering for what they did to Yishmael. Right, Higarashumi Mitzrayim, that, 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 that's another reference of the word Gorashuki that says the, the, the bread didn't rise, the, the, the matzah we eat, it says because they carried out dough, and the dough didn't have a chance to rise. Higarashumi, we say this in the Haggadah, Higarashumi Mitzrayim, the Gamsay de Asulahem, they didn't prepare provisions. Right, so the word Gorash is used several times, in the, more than once, in the context of Yishmael Mitzrayim. And the particular grammatical form of Garish is exactly the same form as the Mahagar and Ishmael, and the Torah says there was a punishment, there was an element of punishment. So the late Dachronim ask on the Torah, they say, punishment? Again, Hashem said, Hashem said, you have to listen to us, what kind of punishment? And of course, you see, the triumph was not punishment, you see, the triumph on the whole was one of the greatest acts of kindness and and, and uh, schus avos that Hashem ever did for us. But nevertheless, the Torah understands that on some level, apparently, that, that, that everything, has, everything has a consequence. And the fact that they mistreated uh, Yishmael, even here, even where Hashem said do it, even where Hashem said do it, uh, there was still some element of punishment. Oh, so... 
Right. So, so, so he's pointing out that, that perhaps, again, perhaps the basic sending away was correct. It was a bad influence and he had to be removed from Yitzhak. But there are ways to do it. He could have, he could have sent it to him. He could have given him more supplies. And they, they got stuck and he almost died because they ran out of food and water. He could have uh, given her uh, a guide, a letter of recommendation to his family and so on. He could have you know, arranged for her, made some phone calls and put her in a shelter for women. Or see, this, The things he could have done. Maybe he could have done more. Rashi actually says that Rashi notes this. Rashi, why didn't he give him gold and silver? Avram was a rich man. He says he, he hated him because he was a Russian. Even though it says he, he was reluctant to send him away, he also had, uh, he also had resentment toward him for being a Russian. But maybe, right, maybe on some level, uh, there, there, were, there, were, there were choices he could have made. Maybe he could have made different choices. Additionally, there's an idea that I like to talk about that, uh, that it's a provocative idea, but, but this, is, this is said by some of the Bali Musr. Some of the Bali Musr explain that sometimes you can do the right thing it's, it's, it's the correct choice. If you ask, uh, if, you, if, you, if you consult, uh, you'll be told this is the right thing to do. But if the right thing to do involves hurting other people, innocent people, that, or maybe even not innocent people, then there is a price you pay for it. The, the, this idea is said uh, in some interpretations by Rechaim Shulevitz, the great, uh, great uh, Musser scholar from Yerushalayim. Rechaim Shulevitz says something like this about... Uh, about the story about Hannah and Penina. We read on Rosh Hashanah, so the, the, the birth of Shmuel. So the story goes that the story goes that that you know, the Elkanah, the man Elkanah, has two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina has many children, seven according to the the midrash, and Hannah has none. And Hannah is very, very depressed, very, very upset about this. She 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 desperately longs for a child, and it says Penina. Rub salt in her wounds. Pina, co-wives, we know, don't always get along. Even Rachel and Leah had trouble. Co-wives don't always get along. And it says that, the Pasuk says, that, that Pina would, uh, would pour salt on her wounds by, by aggravating her and by, uh, by, by, making her, by, by hurting her about her childless, her barren state. So the Gemara says that, one, there's one Gemara, there's one statement of Chazal that says, Satan and Penina were l'shem shemayim neskavni. The, the, the Satan who, who causes problems for people and Penina who, uh, who, who goaded her, her, her rival actually meant l'shem shemayim in order that she wanted to, she wanted to, she, she wanted to provoke her into, into more intense prayer so she could have a child. So Penina meant well. Incidentally, there's a fantastic part from the Kutzker Rebbe. The Kutzker says, how did Chazal know that, uh, that Prina was a Shem Maybe she was just a nasty person. Maybe she was just a monster and uh, she hated her so much because she was her rival. How did Chazal know that she, was really, uh, that she really meant L'Shem Shemayim? So the Kutzker says, there are some things that a person does that are so monstrous that you couldn't possibly do them unless you were L'Shem Shemayim. There are some things that are just, the only way to conceivably do such, such to taunt a childless woman, the only way you could do that is if you meant L'Shem Shemayim. But either way, the Gemara says she meant L'shem Shemayim. There's another statement of Chazal, there's a Midrash that says, there's a Midrash that says that Prina was punished uh, extremely severely for what she did. It said, uh, it, it, when Chana sings her Shira after, after she has Shmuel, it says, there's a passage there that says, Ada kara yalda shiva, until the barren woman, that's me, had, had shiva, for Rabbas banim umlala, and the one who had Rabbas banim, which is a reference the Midrash says to Prina, umlala was left desolate. The Midrash says that every child that Chana had, that Chana had, Prina lost two. So I think when she had, so, 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 so I think it says that really Prina only had, I think, uh, I think five. It says that, 
but everyone Chana had Fina lost two. So when she had, I forget, I forget the exact numbers, but it says that when as Chana started having children, Fina kept losing two. So um, they, died. they died. Yeah, the, the two of them died. Uh, right. Well, that, well, that's a good question. How, how is this fair to Elkanah? But okay, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that to tell you the truth. But that's a good point. But so until Pnina was desperate and she and, and she begged forgiveness from Chana, she said, uh, she said, please, uh, please, you know, have mercy on me. You know, I'm, I'm being punished because of what I did to you. So 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 Chana prayed for her for her forgiveness, and and I think and then her children stopped dying. The midrash has an explanation how the numbers work out: five and seven. I forget the exact details. But the so but anyway, the midrash says that Pina was punished by, by t- the terrible punishment of having her kids die. Well, yeah, why that was fair to Elkanah? Why did he deserve that? Good question. I'm not sure. But so again, so the Bali Musar asked. But if she meant L'shem Shemayim, why was she being punished like this? If she meant well, what, what, what was the problem? So Rechayim it says because actions have consequences. You can mean well all you want. You can be totally L'shem Shemayim. If you hurt another person, it's like putting your hand in a fire. He says it's not a question of fair or not fair fire burns. He says the same thing morally, you hurt somebody else, you suffer for it, regardless of whether you mean L'Shem Shemayim or not. So some understand, some have such a hard time with this idea. How is that fair? God, run, God runs a fair world. But how is that fair? If it's the right thing to do, if it's L'Shem Shemayim, how is that fair? So some understand Rabbi Vigdor Nebensal, Talmud Rabbi Shalevitz, he says it must mean that, that she wasn't totally L'Shem Shemayim on the surface she was, but she, on a deeper level she was motivated by uh, some some trace of personal rivalry and animus. It wasn't totally L'shem Shemayim. That's not what Rav Shalavit seems to say, and some seem to understand uh, that it's like a fire, like his muscle of the fire. It's not a question of right and wrong. That's how Hashem created the world, that there are, like karma, like we said before, it's, 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 it's almost an un... Uh, it, it transcends morality almost. That's the way Hashem created the world. You hurt somebody else, it will, like the Gemara says, it'll boomerang to you, Hamasi Alecha, even if it was the right thing to do, perhaps. If, if you hurt somebody else, it's the... There, 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 there's going to be a consequence, and uh, okay, actually, yeah. But, but, but going back to our to our theme, so the the Gemara tells us in Rosh Hashanah in uh, in Brachos that a person should not walk, should not pass by a kirin natri, should not pass by a, a rickety wall, a dangerous wall. It's dangerous, and because it, it causes a person's avarice to be to be uh, hauled, to be brought out in front of Hashem. The way Rashi puts it is Maskiravanosov Shomer. The heavenly court, they're gonna ask, Klum Roy's does he deserve it? And we talk Kaku Nivdak, he's inspected, and the answer might not be what you want, apparently. Or the alternatively we said Menachin Lomitz Yosef. That's a Gemara in Shabbos. The Gemara in Shabbos says about the about a person's Khuyos, so it says that it says that it says it it says that uh, it, 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 it says that 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 in general a per, a, per, a person should not do something it, 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 it says that, that a person should not do something that uh, that, that 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 requires a nace. The Gemara gives different examples of crossing on a, a ferry, which is not so seaworthy, and so on. It says a certain number of them wouldn't do it. It says that a person shouldn't do something and rely on a nace because he might not deserve the nace and he might die. And if he doesn't die, it'll it'll count off. It'll it'll offset some of his achuyos. So this is what Rabbi Yaakov Padanki says. Finally, going back to our pasuk, he says that the Jewish people they rushed across the, the Yarden because Chazal told us that you're not supposed to uh, you're not supposed to enter a dangerous spot because they could that that's dangerous. It's it's, it's reckless self endangerment and and you might lose and, and you might you might not make it or if you do you might lose some of your zechuyos. 
So the, the question is, does that really apply over here? Hashem was making a nace. This was a nace. This wasn't, they, 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 didn't, they didn't happen to find a rickety wall and walk by it. Hashem told them, this is the plan. You are going to cross the Arden. I'm going to split it for you. I'm going to hold it up for you. The urn, the urn of Hashem is sitting here. So one might have thought, on the contrary, that to rush by to suspect that it's going to collapse any minute might be a lack of amuna to, to say that Hashem, the nace is going to cut out in the middle and Hashem can't, you know, it's like Hashem can't maintain it. He runs out of energy. Of course he could. If he told them, cross the Arden, one might have argued it would actually be uh, disrespectful to Hashem to say, you know, we don't trust the nace is going to continue. Okay, but that's what he says. That the, He says, on the contrary, that uh, this is in line with Chazal's statement that a person should not deliberately should not choose to put himself in a dangerous situation. This principle, this rule that a person should not put himself in a dangerous situation actually is brought by the postkim. It's, it's brought by the postkim in a number of places that a person has an obligation to, uh, to act prudently and to, and, and to safeguard his health and well-being. In particular, it is brought in the context of the plague. We, we, all, we all study this when, when COVID hit, two years, we, we first hit two years ago. This, is, this, this language of a person shouldn't go past the care not to you as a, as a, as a rabbinic precedent for not, for not endangering yourself when you have a choice to avoid it, to wear a mask, to social distance, and so on. This point was actually made in a very famous tshuva of the Maril. The Maril, Rabbi Yaakov Molin, the, 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 one of the great pillars of Minag Ashkenaz 600 years ago from the 15th century. So the, the Maril... Maril was asked a very seminal question. He was asked, they used to have plagues in the Middle Ages, in the Black Plague and so on. Now, now they, they did not understand microbiology. They didn't understand uh, the vectors of transmission of the plague. But they knew, they, 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 they did understand that physical proximity was, was a thing. They, they often referred to it as uh, damage to the atmosphere, ipush ha'avir. The theory might not have been the same as modern science, but they understood empirically that you should avoid areas. It, it was the conventional wisdom that a person should avoid, that, that there was a, an element of, of proximity with plague transmission, and the safe thing to do, the rational safe thing to do, was to avoid areas where the plague is manifest. So they asked the Maril, they asked, theologically, is that correct? Uh, theologically, doesn't God run the world? Doesn't every bullet have an address? And doesn't God decide who lives and who dies? Does it really make sense, uh, as a believing Jew, does it really make sense, they asked the Maril, to avoid the to avoid the the plague, try to, to try to take measures to avoid the plague. One of the things they mentioned was a Gemara. The Gemara brings a statement. The Gemara says people say, I mentioned before, we have an expression in English: every bullet has an address. So there was a similar statement in Babylonia. People used to say there can be a there can be a plague for seven years. The Inish lo No man will will die before his appointed time by God. Meaning, ultimately, God is running the world. So the Maril's correspondent told him, maybe there's no point in running away. Maybe we should take a more fatalistic attitude because uh, as believing Jews, we believe God is in control. Says the Maril, that is not correct. It, it is correct to flee the plague. That's the Minog, the Maril says. The Maril notes over here, he says, He said, I, I saw great, great uh, Torah scholars who would, who would leave, who would vacate the area when a plague struck. That's the Minog. And the Maril makes a, uh, a firm theological argument that the correct thing, even as a devout religious person, the correct thing is to take, safe, is to take appropriate safety precautions, such as fleeing the plague. And one of the, one of the examples he brings, one of the sources from Chazal that a person should avoid putting himself in situations of danger is this thing about the, the rickety wall. He says, A person has to avoid uh, an unstable wall. So from all these different sources he brings, he says, 
that ain't tov lamad machem sakana. It is not good. It is it is wrong to uh, to deliberately remain in a dangerous place when you have a choice. What about that gemara we mentioned earlier that says that a plague can rage for seven years and nobody will die before the appointed time? Says in Maril, it says something very funny. Says in Maril, if you read the gemara, the gemara doesn't say that the Talmud itself asserts such a thing. The gemara says, the gemara says that. Um, it says, people say, people say this, that uh, it quotes a popular proverb, a popular saying. People used to say that it's going to... The Gemara is not endorsing this, he says. The Gemara is telling you this is what people believe. People believe people have a fatalistic attitude that everything is, is, is in the hands of God. But that, that's not theologically correct. Theologically, the, 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 the Torah's theology is that God gave a person agency, that God told a person that they're responsible for their own actions. And uh, again, so the, the Maril... Maril is not a philosopher. He, he doesn't have a systematic philosophy like the Rambam or like the Rambag. So mostly he just brings various chazal to prove his point. So he doesn't explain. He doesn't explain so clearly why not exactly. He has one or two very interesting things we're not going to get into right now. But he uh, basically says it's clear from chazal that it's clear from chazal that a person took him and chazals. It's clear that the correct thing to do is to uh, is to flee when there's a plague and not to just say God is in control. And, uh, and whatever will be, will be. Actually, I might as well get into this also. One of the funniest and strangest arguments he makes in favor of this doctrine, he brings a very, very bizarre Gemara in Chagiga. The Gemara in Chagiga says, has this extremely bizarre story. It says that there was a certain Chacham in the Talmud who was friendly with the Malachamavis, they used to talk, and he heard the following story about the Malachamavis once. It says that the Malachamavis once uh, had determined that it was time for a certain woman to die, he told his agent, apparently, even the Malachamavis doesn't do everything personally, he delegates sometimes. So the Malachamavis had an agent, an underling, a minion, who he, he told him, Go bring me the soul of, go bring me the soul, he says, of uh, Miriam, Magadl- uh, um, Miriam Magadlan Ashaya, Miriam the hairdresser. She, she, she dresses the hair of women. The Shliach got mixed up. The agent instead confused the two Miriams and he brought a different Miriam, Miriam the Megadli Dardiki. Also, the word Megadl can mean to dress hair or to raise children. He heard Miriam Megadla, he got mixed up between Nishaya, the, the hair of the women, and Dardiki, the, 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 the daycare uh, provider. So he, he, he confused the two and he brought the wrong woman. The Gemara then says he killed the wrong woman. So then there's a whole discussion. What should we do? Should we send her back? Should we get the other one? The whole discussion was, should we just let it stand or rectify the mistake? The whole discussion in the Gemara. A very, very strange story. What the Talmud is trying to tell us is not clear. But the, the Maril thought he, thought he knew what the Talmud was telling us. The Maril says, you know what you see from the story? Even the system of the Malachamavis, even God's angel of death, it's not perfect. There are bureaucratic snafus up there as well. Sometimes the, the system fouls up and then the wrong person is taken away. A, a little strange. It's a, the, again, the Maril doesn't give us a really, uh, a really systematic theological explanation for what that means. But the Maril says the lesson, the takeaway from the story is that even the Malachamavis is not foolproof. Sometimes the, the, the things just happen without a good reason. Therefore, he says, the, the, the Gemara calls it Yesh Nisfeb Lo Mishpat. Sometimes people are consumed or destroyed without justice. Not everything is God's will. Sometimes things just go wrong, and therefore it makes very, it makes very good sense, he says. Take precautions to be careful. The Gemara there indicates even the Malachamavis, is, uh, he only got her because she was negligent. She, she was careless about her about herself over there. So it makes very good sense. Take precautions. You're right. If it's really God's will, then, then God's will be done. But it's not always God's will. Sometimes things just go wrong. So therefore the Maril says that the, this is the idea of care not doing, that a person should not risk his life unnecessarily. Person has an obligation to be prudent and responsible, 
And this maril is, is brought lahalacha. Not all these details. The maril is brought in Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah says if there's a plague, a person should flee. That is the holding of the maril. It's also the holding of another tshuva from around the same time of the Rashbash. The maril was, uh, was an Ashkenazi, a German posik. Uh, a very similar tshuva, a very similar holding is expressed by the Rashbash. The Rashbash was Rabbi Shlomo ben Shimon Duran, a great posig from North Africa, from the Sardim. He was also asked the same question, does it really make sense to flee the plague if it's all God's will? His answer is also unequivocally, yes, it does. And he has, as is the approach of the Sardim, a much more theologically systematic uh, approach to the question. He has a much more systematic approach. He explains that it's true that God has, God sometimes has a, a definite will for the world. Sometimes, he, sometimes someone is a great tzaddik and God will preserve his life no matter what happens, no matter how dangerous the situation is, God will spare him. Sometimes someone is such a Russia that God will, God is insistent that he die no matter how prudent and careful and strong he is, God will find a way, God will find a way to kill him. There's also a middle ground, he says. There also is a middle ground of people who are not such great tzaddikim that they have a guaranteed... Uh, they have a guarantee of life, and they're not such great rishon. They have a guarantee of death, and for them, the natural order of the world will determine whether they live or die. If they, if they, if they, if they're reckless and they go out onto a battlefield, they may die. If they stay home and safely, they'll live. If they go into a plague area, they'll die. If they stay home, they'll live. You're right. If you're really such a great tzaddik, Hashem will save you either way. But uh, and if you're really such a great rasha, Hashem will kill you either way. But there's a middle ground, he says, and the middle ground is, is where the laws of nature operate, and a person, and, and 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 we should consider ourselves in that middle ground. It's likely that we are. I think he says and. For us, he says, it makes every good, it makes very good sense that the that, that we should act prudently and we should we should take precautions to avoid the so, and to avoid the danger. So this is what Chazal told us also about Kirnatui. Chazal again, Chazal also did not engage in systematic theology here, but Chazal told us very clearly in several Gemaras that a person should try to avoid the danger, whether it's because of a theological reason, because Hashem will credit it against your schuyos, whether it's because rationally, that, rationalistically, that. You may not deserve an ace, and you may just die if you're in a dangerous situation. This is the overwhelming consensus of Jewish theology, and it's even brought in Shulchan Aruch, as I said, that, the, the, that, that a person is obligated to take prudent precautions, and that's why, the, and that's why I think the, the mainstream approach, to a, to, to a large extent among contemporary Jewish thinkers, was that, uh, that in a time of COVID, a person should follow medical advice. If medical advice is that masking or distancing or vaccination or all these things are, are appropriate, so we, we generally follow it. Obviously, the, the, the question is how far. You, you can always be more and more careful. You can, you can, a person can stay home and never leave the house. Even today, a person can, even with a mask, a person can just say, I'm never going to leave my house anymore. So obviously, there, there comes a point of diminishing returns where a person, you know, people have to draw the line for themselves. Some people will stay home. Some people will go out with a mask. Some people will go out without a mask. Some people, it's obviously exactly, you know, how risky are we talking about? Halakha, halakha does not give you a concrete uh, line, a quantified, a concrete uh, rule to, that, that, that'll give you a definitive answer in every single case, what's called being prudent or what's called being reckless. But the basic idea is, is very much in line with mainstream Jewish theology, mainstream Jewish theology and halacha, that, that a person is, is required to act in a way that is, uh, that is prudent given the, given the circumstances. I, now, I'll reiterate what I said before. It is a big chiddush to say that, that, that when, Hashem is deliber- when Hashem is concretely making a nace, one of the great nisim of history, and he's stopping the Arden, to say even then it's considered kir not to eat, uh, I can't stay in the Arden, who knows if Hashem will keep making the nace. That seems to be a big chiddush. If Hashem is anyway making a nace, the whole thing is a nace. The, Arden, the Ark of the Covenant is sitting there, and Hashem announced it through Yoshua. This is one of the great nisim for the ages. There it seems a little odd to say that even that, I have to say, I have to minimize the nace. The truth is, though, as uh, we've discussed in other contexts, even when Hashem does make a nace, 
There is also a doctrine that Hashem tries to minimize the nace, that, 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 that we discussed, that the Ralbag says, that Hashem made the nace via wind. One of the reasons, one of the ways he explains it is because the is because Hashem likes to minimize the Nisim. We had the, the, the story of the flood and the Teva. Hashem told Noah to save the world by, by making a Teva, so I believe the Ramban says. There was still a Nase. The Teva wasn't really big enough to, to hold the entire biosphere, to hold every single Bederach uh, Teva. It couldn't really fit every single animal in the world. There was a Nase involved. So if there was a Nase involved, why did Noah have to spend years building a Teva? Because Hashem wants, at least to some extent, uh, he'll make a Nase when necessary, but Hashem wants uh, to some people to do, to the extent possible, Hashem wants people to act b'derech ha'teva. That would be another way to explain this. Maybe this is what Rabbi Yaakov Padanki means, that even though there was a nace here, that Hashem was holding up the, Hashem was holding up the water by nace, Hashem wants to minimize the nace, so he told them maybe they were supposed to rush to, 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 to limit the time that Hashem would have to make this, uh, this nace. Maybe that's what he means. But the way he says it is, it's, uh, it's dangerous, it's kir natui, it's, uh, it's a dangerous situation, and a person should... A person should avoid danger wherever possible, and that's why he says they. That's why he says they. They maru. They rushed across the yard. It's like a, it's like a philosophical idea that there always has to be like a human hishtadlus, even you know, regardless, you know. Right. And the end result is going to be you know what Hashem wants it to be. Right. Now, the, the, this idea that that uh, the, the word hishtadlus is often used in this context, as you mentioned, that Hashem wants us to put in our effort as well. This comes up one 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 further case where this comes up where exactly that language is often used is in the context of the practice of medicine, physicians. So Judaism, of course, typically supports uh, seeking medical attention for medical conditions. The Torah says, Verapa yerape, mikanshi that there is, uh, we, do, we, we do go to doctors. There is a, a, a famous uh, and somewhat difficult to understand position of the Ramban. Ramban himself was a physician, and in some of his writings, he, he emphasizes that it's permitted for a physician to practice his craft. It's a mitzvah to save people's lives. But nevertheless, he also has an idea, Parshish Bechukosei, that if a person is on a high spiritual level, a person should not seek medical attention for his medical conditions. He should, he should treat it as a, as a sign from God. And he should, instead of going to the doctor, he should, he should go to the Navi. He should seek out spiritual counsel as to the spiritual root of his malady. He should not go to the doctor. It says about King Asad, it says that he was criticized, he became sick to the end of, toward the end of his life, and then the Navi criticizes him and says, Gam lo darash b'ashem ki He did not seek out God, he only went to the doctors. So some say the criticism is, he only went to the doctors, that, that that's not right. He should have also done, sought out the Navi'im. But doing both, like you said, doing Ishtadlis and having a theological approach is fine. That's what, that's, what, that's what many Mepharshim say. But the Ramban says no, that going to the doctor was absolutely and objectively wrong. He shouldn't have gone to the doctor at all. And that, as you said, that really contradicts the, the, the dominant, what we've been discussing today, that really contradicts the dominant approach to Jewish theology that a person is supposed to be Mishnadel, a person should always make Mishnadel, and then Tavim Tashem and recognize that ultimately God is the ultimate healer and it's up to Hashem. But certainly a person, the, 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 the dominant paradigm is that a person should make Ishtadlis, and the Ramban is generally rejected. Some say that even the Ramban was only talking about people on an extremely high spiritual level, not us. Some say the Ramban is just wrong. The, 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 the most full-throated rejection of the Ramban I ever saw appears in the Sefer Akedas Yitzchak, a contemporary of Abrenel, late 15th, early 16th, late 15th century. He, he discusses the story of Yaakov and the Pashas Vyishlach, where he engages in a three-pronged uh, plan to repel Esav, diplomacy and bribery and uh, 
battle, an order of battle, and tefillah. He says the lesson is, he says he has a long essay, the lesson is a person should always strive to the, to the utmost of his capabilities in every method possible to avert misfortune. He should not take the fatalistic approach and it's all up to God. Why, why bother? Hashem will take care of me. It's absolutely not the attitude of Judaism. Exactly as you said, what he calls the word charitos is the word he uses, a synonym for ishtadlis. A person has to always do whatever he can. And then he says, and what the Ramban said, he said, the Ramban says, you shouldn't go to the doctor, me, Yishmael, love. that's completely against normative Jewish theology, he says, exactly as you said, that, that, that the, the, the standard Jewish approach, the Ramban aside, is that a person should generally, is generally expected to do whatever Ishtadlis he can, whatever is reasonable, and after that, along with that, he should also understand that ultimately Hashem controls the world, and ultimately he needs to do tshuva and to come close to Hashem and to pray, but certainly as a practical, tangible matter, a person is supposed to, is obligated to do whatever Ishtadlis is possible and reasonable. Right. So the question is, can we go even further and say that not only is Ishtadlis God's will, it can also affect what Hashem, what, it can also affect what Hashem will do. So I have heard this idea from contemporary rabbinic thinkers that since Ishtadlis itself is a mitzvah, it's, it's a religious obligation, not doing it is kind of a failure of religious obligations, and therefore Hashem may look less favorably on you. I don't know that I've seen this particular angle in, in early sources, but the early sources tend to say, like I said before, the Rashbash and the Akeda, that since it's a wide middle ground of people who don't merit uh, guarantees, for them, the Shtadlis makes a difference because there's a middle ground where God leaves that to Derekateva. But some, I think, more modern thinkers, I think, say it the way you said it as well, that the, 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 the less Ishtadlis you do, the, the less favorably God is disposed toward you, and therefore he, uh, he may... Uh, he may um, he may you know, let, let you suffer. Or alternatively, that God's, God's chesed and providence is the provision of the, the opportunity. If you don't take it, that, that's on you. There's a famous marshal they give. A person is in a flooded area, and a boat comes by and says, you'll get into the boat. He says, no, no, God will provide. He gets on the second floor already, and another boat comes by. He says, no, no, God will take care of me. You know, a helicopter comes by, you know, last chance, it says, you know, the, you're, you're about to be uh, flooded. No, no, God will take care of me. He dies. He comes up to heaven and says, God, I had so much and I trusted you. you know, what happened? God said, who do you think sent the boats and the helicopter? I gave you the chance. It's on you if you don't, if you don't take advantage of that.